Our word this evening is shame, and I want to begin tonight by, let's play a little game. Let's make this interactive, uh, sort of icebreaker. I've got some things that are uh, sort of guilty pleasures or secrets. These are all true. They are about me, so I'm putting myself out there, but I want you to vote if you think each one of these is shameful or not shameful. So, uh, literally, raise your hand on these. So, first of all, not all the time, but often enough that it's not irregular. I eat dessert for breakfast. If there's leftover cake or pie, or sometimes I'll have a little bit of ice cream, whatever, I eat dessert for breakfast, and it's a semi-frequent occurrence. Who thinks that's shameful? Uh, there's one man. <laughs> not shameful. Okay, not, who thinks it's not shameful? Yeah, okay, most people. All right, we've got people that will admit to doing that. All right, uh, second one. I love the television show Downton Abbey. I know it's just a glorified soap opera where uh, people dress up like they're from the world, the Edwardian era, but I really like that show. Anybody find that shameful? David Smith is a liar on top of everything else. I included this one partially to out him as a fellow lover of Downton Abbey. We've discussed this. I know that he is. And I wouldn't have made it so pronounced if he wouldn't have just lied about it. Uh, <laughs> you think it's shameful for me to like it, not for you to like it. Okay. So we've got. So who thinks that's not shameful then? Um, some people have never seen the show, so they don't know if it, I should be ashamed or not. Check it out. It's clean. Um, I, third one, I wear secondhand clothes a lot of the time with no apologies. I like buying used clothes. I know that bothers some people. This blazer I'm wearing tonight, this is used. I bought this off eBay several years ago. You would have known that if I hadn't just told it to you. So anybody find that shameful? Abby does. <laughs> Probably because I... <laughs> spend more money on those than I should, but less than if they were new. Um, not shameful? No, it's frugal. There, there we go. Here's one that I think I'll get more pushback on. Every now and then, I mean, I'm talking every few years, maybe twice since we've been married, I get this strange, intense craving that can only be satisfied by eating a bowl of SpaghettiOs. I have to go to the store and get a can of SpaghettiOs in order to satisfy this craving. Uh, not often, like I say, maybe twice in the last decade. Anyone find that shameful? Yeah, quite a few find that. I thought I'd get more, more pushback on that. Not shameful? Okay, some are okay with that. Last one, uh, as soon as I was old enough to do it, which would have been with the fifth book, I was so invested in the Harry Potter series that I was one of those people who camped out at midnight to get the books as soon as they were released. Now, I, I mean, I didn't dress up like a wizard or anything like that. Let's make that clear. Just normal clothes. But I was camped out there to get the books at midnight. I did that three separate years. Anyone find that shameful? No? Oh, <laughs> maybe not. The point is, all these are pretty lighthearted. But some of them you might find a little bit weird. And you've probably got some things that if you were to open up and confess, uh, you might be slightly embarrassed, slightly ashamed if other people were to, to know about them. We all understand this concept 
of shame. There are some acts, there are some behaviors, there are some attitudes that society just deems unacceptable, or at the least, we want to to hide them. We don't want anyone to discover those secret things about us because we don't want to be subject to humiliation. Shame is not as powerful a motivating force in modern American society as it is in some other contemporary cultures, as it was in the biblical world, or in fact, as it has been at some other previous points in American history. Uh, I appreciated that one of our readings this week, if you're one of the people who who does the readings in the One Word book, one of our readings discussed the concept of an an honor-shame culture. Because that's an important concept for us to understand if we're to get what Scripture's talking about when it talks about shame. In general, anthropologists categorize cultures into three different broad groups. Uh, One is fear-based cultures. And when I say these groups, we're talking about the emotions that are used in order to maintain social order or cohesion. So one is a a fear-based culture. That is where people are kept in line because they're worried about punishment from the authorities. That's the sort of culture that we see in uh, totalitarian regimes, for instance. But if you've ever read up on this, any probably what we're most familiar with is an honor-shame culture, or a guilt culture. In many ways, those two different cultures are a contrast between internal motivation and external motivation. So America is usually described as a guilt culture. That is, we're extremely individualistic, We want to do what we want to do, but we're kept in line by our own consciences. We have this internal motivation, and if we violate those internal standards of morality, we feel guilty. And that's what helps keep people in line, that internal conviction that we've done wrong. Honor-shame cultures, by contrast, are concerned with externals. That is, not how I judge my actions, but how are other people going to judge them? What are they going to think about me if they find out that I crave SpaghettiOs every now and then? Or if it's things that are, that are more serious than that. When you commit a transgression, there will be consequences that will involve you losing your honor, losing face the way that's expressed in some societies. Uh, there may be even the threat of ostracism. That is, I'm going to be shunned. I'm going to be treated like a pariah. Now, when we think about that, we can probably see that even if modern-day America is a guilt culture, there are still some aspects of honor and shame that exist here. Shaming was a big part of early American life. If you've ever read The Scarlet Letter, for example, by Nathaniel Hawthorne, there's a a great example of a woman, Hester Prynne, who committed adultery and is forced then to wear that red A on her clothing as a, a sign of that. Or I think about it particularly in the context of the, the antebellum South. If any of you have ever studied up on the, the South before the Civil War and the concept they had uh, of honor and maintaining that. Uh, have you ever seen Gone with the Wind, for instance? I think about Ashley Wilkes and Scarlett's trying to get him to run away with her and there's nothing holding us here and he says nothing except honor. Uh, that's the code that he lived by. 
I think about that sometimes, in fact, when we talk about the lack of decorum in our modern-day politics, uh, that we're so mean and nasty to each other, and yet a couple of hundred years ago, if one politician offended another, they'd go out and fight a duel because somebody had been dishonored, and I don't know if that's a better way to settle things in some ways or, or not. But we stopped publicly shaming criminals in the 1830s, and our society has become increasingly uh, individualistic and internal in terms of our motivation. What's really interesting is that there seems lately to have been a shift away from that back towards being more motivated by shame. So this is perhaps more relevant as a concept today than it has been for decades. A survey that came out just a couple of years ago by Lifeway Christian found that when uh, Americans, a cross-section of Americans, were asked the question, what do you seek to avoid the most? The greatest number, 38% responded with shame. They try to avoid shame. By contrast, avoiding guilt was only down there at 31%. And I think that a lot of this probably has to do with the rise of public shaming online. You know, there was a time in the modern world, if you committed some act that would cause you to be shamed, you could just get away from the old hometown, right? You could move to the city, you could become anonymous, you could disappear, and you don't have to deal with the fallout from that. But now, you can't really get away from things that you've done because it's out there, people can search it, they can discover it. Uh, In some cases, things from years back are exposed and they're brought out to shame you. So all of this background makes shame sound pretty bad. (laughs) And it is an extremely negative thing. It can have... uh, profoundly negative consequences if we allow it to defeat us, to control our lives, if we allow it to make us feel worthless. And in fact, a lot of our readings this week, if you did those, had to do with that. But I think whether or not this is strictly negative has to do with who or what is shaming us. What is the source of of our shame? What's the standard that brings us shame? And I want to suggest briefly here in the remaining time we have tonight that contrary to what we usually think, and even what a lot of our reading said this week, I want to focus on the other side of this. Shame can actually be a good thing. And maybe in some ways we need a little bit more of it. You see, in Scripture, shame isn't primarily the way we think of it. It's not portrayed first and foremost, as an emotion, this feeling that we get of humiliation. Shame is objective. It means that we have done something to bring disgrace in some way that is tangible. So think about Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. It doesn't use the word, but they felt shame, didn't they? We know that because their immediate response was to go and to hide. Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
they knew they had sinned, and they knew in doing that they had dishonored themselves. Now, there weren't a lot of other people for them to be worried about being ashamed in front of, but they were ashamed to be in God's presence because they'd lost face with God, the only other being that mattered, the one that they were responsible to here in this instance. So that's just one early indication right there from the very beginning that shame has the potential to be a godly motivator. It's pointing us in the direction of something that we've done wrong. Uh, To give several examples of how this works in Scripture, a virtuous life shames the ungodly, and in fact, it can be a way to promote evangelism. Paul writes, Titus chapter 2, verse 8, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So you're to behave in an honorable way, a righteous way. Why? So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about suffering as a Christian, and he says that when we do that, we have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So living that righteous life can put the ungodly to shame. Shame also leads us to forsake sinning. Paul writes, Romans 6, verse 21, What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? He's talking about before they were Christians. Doing those things, what fruit were you bearing from those things that you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Shame is a force that the church can employ in order to try to provoke Christians to doing what they need to do, producing right behavior. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 14. And I think that this positive perspective is important because just naturally we don't like the idea of shame. It is a negative emotion. It makes us feel bad. But in particular, we don't like to be held to that biblical standard of what should and should not shame us. We want to make our own standards. And in fact, a lot of modern society, a lot of what's considered to be shameful in modern society is a direct rejection of what Scripture considers to be shameful. That is, it turns everything upside down. Our society is pretty shameless when it comes to sin. Wouldn't you agree with that? That's something that the Bible talks about repeatedly. People flaunt their unholiness and they become calloused to God. As the prophet Zephaniah says, the unjust knows no shame, Zephaniah 3, 5. And in fact, they often celebrate the very things they should be ashamed of. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. Or we could think about our text that Tristan read a little while ago. 
from Romans chapter 1 where Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel, but then the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And it goes on from here, if you're to read the rest of Romans chapter 1, to talk about people engaging in all sorts of uh, the most heinous sorts of sins because they've elevated themselves to the place of God, worshiping the creature instead of the creator. People celebrate, they boast in, they glory in and exalt the very things which they should be ashamed of. And that mindset, so pervasive in our modern world, is dangerous because it slowly but steadily, insidiously seeps into the church. We don't want others to shame us for our behavior. Now, part of that is a natural reaction. And when I say that, certainly we should never be judgmental, judging unrighteous judgments about others. And we should never act as if we don't have any faults, if, if, if we're perfect and everything's in order in our house. But part of our duty as Christians is to try to enforce conformity to God's will. Not just in our own lives, but to be looking out for others. Uh, think about what the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews chapter 10, which we talk about usually in the context of not neglecting to meet together. He says, you need to consider one another how to stir up love and good works in one another. Now, that's a positive aspect of that, but the negative component of that is if somebody's not doing that, you need to be looking out for them. If someone has sin in their life, you need to be willing and able to confront that. We need to make sure that we're living holy lives the way that we talked about this morning. Not out of a sense of self-righteousness, that I'm better than you. Not out of fear, not out of anger, but, but out of love. Realizing that we're all in this together and we're all trying to serve God. Uh, my point, in short, is that as much as we don't like it, we need to be up in each other's business a little bit more. I don't know any other way to put it. We don't like that, but a lot of our rejection of that is more from our worldly mindset, our American mindset, than it is from the Christian perspective when we're supposed to be watching each other's backs. Now, hopefully, hopefully none of us here has or, or will fall into unrepentant, rebellious sin. I think we would all be ashamed of that. And if we do, and we're not ashamed of that, well, that's when uh, church discipline in particular, withdrawal of fellowship, which is a public shaming, that's what that boils down to. It's a shunning. It's this last-ditch effort. Nothing else has worked on this person, so now we're trying to publicly shame them so they see the consequences of their actions. But I think everybody here tonight, you wouldn't be at church on a Sunday night if you wouldn't be shamed in some sense if you fell into sin and were just unrepentant about it. But what about when it comes to our commitment level? We're called to be holy as God is holy. Remember that from this morning. 
Paul prays for the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, that they would live lives worthy of the Lord. That applies to all of us. And that's a, that's a high bar. I know that's something that's difficult for us to, to meet, and we can never meet it completely. But are we striving for that bar? Do we ever feel shame over our lack of spiritual discipline? We miss church just because we don't feel like going or because we have something else going on and it's almost like as someone said recently, well, I'll go to church because I don't really have anything else better to do today. Now, I realize I'm talking to a Sunday night crowd, so this sort of message might be largely lost on us. But do we feel shame when we don't pray regularly? Do we feel shame when we don't read the Bible regularly? We want a comfortable, no-demands sort of Christianity. But what I'm suggesting is most of us don't feel shame about things like that. There was a time not too long ago when we would have, when if you weren't doing the things that you ought to be doing, if you weren't attending services like you ought, uh, if you weren't studying like you ought, there would be some public shaming of some sort. But now we don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. And I'm not suggesting, you should know me well enough to know, I'm not ever suggesting that we should do that in any sort of mean way or try to embarrass anyone or intentionally make someone uncomfortable just to do it. But what I'm saying is we all need to be a little uncomfortable sometimes. It's good for us to be made to feel uncomfortable. Do our lives honor God? an honor and shame culture? Are we living lives that bring him honor, that bring the church honor, or do they bring disgrace? That's the question. And if they bring disgrace, then we should feel shame. And in that sense, that's a good thing. That's the way God has designed us to be. And that leads us finally to what we should not be, must not be ashamed of in our text the New Testament writers recognized that there was this constant temptation to be ashamed of the gospel, something that appeared so foolish, something that appeared so weak according to the world standards. I mean, Paul writes about that at length in 1 Corinthians 1, right? Uh, that the message of the cross, it's a stumbling block to Jews, it's foolishness to Greeks. Who in the world could ever believe in a, a crucified Messiah? This is a lot of nonsense. How can we possibly believe that? And so Paul says in Romans 1.16, he testifies, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why should we be ashamed of good news that puts God's power, as Paul says, on display? We ought to be out there proclaiming that. That's good news. Why should we be ashamed of a gospel that saves people? Now, that's something that if we really truly love and we care about them, we ought not to be ashamed to tell them about it, to tell them about their errors, to tell them about the danger in going the way that they're going. We ought to love them enough to, to want them to be saved. Why should we be ashamed of a gospel that is for everyone who believes? It doesn't discriminate. 
you know, sometimes now we seem to have this idea that, well, I believe what I believe and you believe what you believe and we'll just go along and, and get along here. But the gospel is for all. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. And the point is, we face this very same temptation. If you want to talk about things that can shame us, not only now, but increasingly, I think, in the coming years in our society, it will become a shameful thing in certain quarters to be a Christian. There are certain people that will not only reject it, but look at it as a, a source of shame, will be scorned on account of that. So are we going to be ashamed of the gospel? Are we going to be ashamed to be Christians? Are we going to be ashamed to proclaim that we follow Jesus? He warns us about the consequences of that. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I certainly don't want Jesus to be ashamed of me. And I know you feel that same way. So we need to make sure that we live our lives in such a way that it demonstrates we're not ashamed of him now. And if it takes a little bit of shaming from others to make us realize that, well, then that's okay. God built us that way. If you're here this evening and there's something amiss in your life, if there's sin separating you from God, don't be there at that last day with Jesus declaring that he's ashamed of you. Take the opportunity tonight that you have to make the changes. Do it now while we stand and while we sing.